Well, hello everyone and a happy new year to you guys. Uh, I know I'm a bit late. New Year's greetings aren't exactly my strong suit, nor is Christmas or Easter. So <laughs> that's it. I was a bit hesitating coming back here, um, recording something, because I didn't really know what to talk about or wasn't feeling like talking at all. I was... Um, I pulled myself away from all sorts of social contacts and tried to be only by myself to keep working on this novel and, you know, the online university things that I've been still doing here. And um, it's become more uh, structured right now and it's a lot more interesting to keep working and writing uh, a fictional story than I imagined. It's, it's almost like a drug. You stop typing and after a while you know when you take a break or you go to work go for a for a hike or riding your bike or stuff like that or even you watch a movie all of a sudden something pops into your head that you need to add to the story at least to i don't know chapter or this and that because your mind is constantly thinking about this kind of stuff once you got hooked at least i feel like that and i hope that my muse is not going to disappear anytime soon because I'd really like to continue writing this book and I'd like to finish it this year, if that's possible. But I still have a ton of work to do, so um, I'm not sure if I can actually really pull through with it, but for now, the way I feel, the way I motivate myself to keep uh, working on that kind of stuff is working and is fulfilling, actually. It's a, it's a very interesting feeling to, to, to write and describe the world that the character is in instead of drawing it. Because when you're drawing it, you're forcing your view on, on, on specific people or pretty much anybody who actually takes note of all the details. And, um, I mean, no disrespect to anything that has anything to do with comic books or somebody working on comics. Fucking A, I'm a comic book artist myself. But I cannot be described as a successful one. Because I never really was. I just had some some lucky shots here and there, which I'm very grateful for. But um, I'm not exactly a household name, nor uh, are any any you know publishers or business people knocking at my door offering me tons of money to keep working for them. So that's not happening. But writing a book, writing a novel about something something intimate maybe, maybe something very private, um, taking a character into, not only into a specific universe, but opening them up and describing emotions, what they feel, what they're going through, how interesting or complicated their lives are. That is quite challenging and that is very fun. But yeah, well, that's still um, um, a long way to go for me until that thing is actually anywhere near finished. Or at least, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to push myself to keep writing anything that comes into my mind into the story, at least as long as I have the feeling that, that the story is actually going forward and not just becomes chaotic with unnecessary information. And afterwards, I need to rewrite everything and maybe change it or compromise here and there to make it more uh, easier and more comfortable to read or more exciting to read. And then... Who knows? I might send this thing away to a publisher when I am done with uh, the university anyway. So I think that if I keep working here and stay steady, you know, I, I might 
I might reach an end soon enough, at least I hope. I don't want to drag this out into oblivion, you know, it makes no sense. In the meantime, however, um, Christmas was boring because, you know, COVID is pretty much kicking everyone here in the ass. Um, Germany is still in a pretty bad shape. Um, I don't think physically in a bad shape, just really um, psychologically in a bad shape because people are just going nuts. And they're very aggressive. Um, one thing I did notice, I don't want to talk too much about COVID because it pisses me off, especially what the politicians are doing with all their rules and regulations and their different forms of vaccines now and all that kind of stuff. Um, what really strikes me as odd is, is the way that people are presented in the media and how the media is trying to divide the people, the public, really only in vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. And it has become quite severe to a point where people are being almost attacked. And not just verbally, you know, a, a bully, they're being really attacked uh, physically with um, a minor extent of violence. It's not, it's not like they're being killed or anything, but the aggressiveness is rising at the moment. And even at work in my, uh, the company I, I work for, not my company, but the company though, um, some people are really pushing the boundaries here a little bit. They're, they're trying to provoke those who are unvaccinated and, you know, either just provoking them and treating them as if they're completely stupid and, un, and uneducated. But I don't really understand how anyone could, could, could say such a thing. Because if somebody's careful and had, doesn't have a good feeling about this kind of stuff, it's just very critical and, and not cynical about the vaccines, but more critical. And I think that's a pretty interesting approach. And I think anybody should take the time to think about stuff like that and not just believe everything and just get the first injection that you can get. So, um, you know... It's it's a very interesting and scary time, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I hear more and more of, of, of incidents where people really get harassed in, in the most horrendous ways, wishing them death and all that kind of stuff on the street by strangers and just really being the most nastiest people you can you can think of. I really see parallels here between this situation, how people are treating each other, uh, to, you know, compared to 70 years ago when when those people who were not one of us or one of you or one of the, the blonde ones, you know, they would be uh, automatically bullied and pushed into a corner or even killed. So um, I'm not saying that Nazi Germany is back, no. But I am saying that there are similarities in behavior. And I think you have to be completely blind not to see that. It doesn't really matter what happens to people out there. If there is stress, if there is a danger, if, um, if, if people are feeling provoked to uh, abuse a rule maybe, or, or um, I don't know, feel the necessity to, to show power or uh, complete discomfort in some issue in their life, it's, it seems to me like they want to explode. It seems like they need to explode to let go of all these aggressions and, and, and anxieties and, and, and whatnot. You know, anything that, that bugs them or keeps them um, just emotionally uh, unhappy, I don't know. It's very bizarre. 
And I'm not sure how far we can go before, you know, people start really uh, killing themselves or going out, out on the streets looking for trouble. Because I'm not the only one. A lot of people, especially some YouTubers who are, uh, you know, uh, trained professionals, they're doctors and psychiatrists, and they say that they fear if this is not being dealt with professionally and if people are not willing to communicate properly, they only see red light in the end, okay? And I mean by that really um, alarm, red alert, if you know what I mean. Alarm, there's a German phrase for it. I, don't, I, I almost mixed that up. And they fear the worst. They fear that if this is not really regulated properly, if the government cannot let go from this, the, all these people will go fucking nuts in the end. And they fear that no one is going to be capable of stopping this. And I really hope that's not going to happen because we all got better things to do, believe me. Yeah, well, that's the typical hypocrisy in Germany that I live through every fucking day. Um, always believe the government. They want only the best for you. Yeah, sure. My ass. Anyway, um, what was I going to talk about today? Gaming? No, I don't think so. Not really into gaming that much at the moment, especially since, you know, all the, the this, this negative evidence against um, Valve and Counter-Strike surfaced more and more. I just, I don't, I don't care that much. Gaming is a waste of my time anyway, but it's still fun if you if you know what I mean. But um, I was thinking about finally talking about Peter Gabriel, my favorite musician, because uh, I've been thinking about you know getting back to the microcorg, my synthesizer, and doing some uh, experiments, just you know pressing some notes and see what happens. Or using GarageBand, that software, which I'm still interested in, but I, I can't really find the time to actually play with it. Because everything else that I've talked about previously is much more important right now. But since it's weekend, I might have some energy left to just try something and create a beat or something. You know, trying to get the software into my head. I might finally do that. And... Um, yeah, well, music, that's always a very interesting thing. I cannot sing for the life of me. I really cannot sing. I like to sing in my car when I'm going to work or going back home. I always sing at the top of my fucking lungs every time. I scream around or shout or, you know, trying to, to hit those notes. But my my vocal cords, uh, cords start breaking after a while because I'm not a trained singer and my, my my vocal cords are not used to this kind of abuse <laughs> so after a while i sound like you know i screamed for the whole day and in truth i only sang like five minutes in the car so i think singing is not for me but it's still fun to do so and as long as nobody hears me i'm fine <laughs> it's, it, it is kind of embarrassing though but um Music has always been a very important part of my life, and um, not so much in, in creating it, but at least experiencing it and, and sucking it up and, and you know, uh, using music to actually solve problems or going through issues and brainstorming certain ideas because music can be so much more than just, you know, party music. 
to make you feel happy and excited and, about life or about love and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think the interesting thing is there is a reason why the media, the music industry is pumped full 2,000% of exactly the same stuff. It's not just easy to digest. It actually creates something in your brain that you're supposed to fall in love with and not just with the song per se, but with the whole idea of the message of the song, especially love songs, you know, and and there's a reason for it. And I'd like to get back to uh, or combine that reason with the stuff I, I started with a year ago, I think. How long am I doing this podcast now? I don't know. It's just a couple of episodes and it feels like I'm doing it forever. So... <laughs> so. I am drinking wine, by the way. It's a it's a Merlot, just standard fucking wine, nothing exciting. Mm. But I'm a highly trained professional, so I drink all the time. Um. Yeah, the previous podcast, I, I was ranting about my negative experiences with the spoiled female society that we have right now, making it very complicated to actually start a relationship, maintaining one. And trying to feel good about that too, you know. And like I said, like I mentioned many times, if you haven't, you can listen to my ranting and me freaking out using many cuss words. And um, it's just not not something that I can identify with anytime soon. And I'm not going to hunt for anyone anytime soon anyway. At least I don't believe so. Um, I have no reason to. And that's why I'm doing all of this. I'm using the private time, the free time that I have in my private life to actually achieve something for moi and only for moi, no one else. Okay, and if it works for for other people, what I do, if I can benefit something from that, you know, get something back, not just positive feedback, but maybe, maybe, only maybe, a tiny maybe, a financial gain from this, then it's fine. You know, then, then I did my job, then everything is okay and everything will come and fall into place from there. And and even if not, I still had fun doing it. You know, that's something I'd like to uh, keep in my memory and and focus on that more than anything else. But the music industry, yeah, here we go. So the experience that most people have made over the years, what many psychologists have been preaching uh, for many years, treating their patients is always... Um, every human being, no matter of male or female, every human being had at least that one experience where they met a person whom they never really got in their lives. Maybe briefly, maybe an affair, if anything at all. Maybe they fell in love under very, you know, uh, stupid decisions where one of them was not really available, maybe in a relationship or something like that. Or they just met through work and because you're colleagues, you can't really connect too too well because one of the other might be afraid to do something they might regret, you know, and, and jeopardize their job and all that kind of stuff. It's not easy in life. It really is not when it comes to stuff like that. But But the point is, everyone had the experience that you fell in love with a person whom you wish would be on your side, would be in your life. In, a, in, a, in an honest-to-God relationship, and that person got away. 
that one person that got away, that is the one thing that keeps the music go wild and keeps the jukebox busy year by year by year with the same fucking story about love. And it works every time. Because every human being making these experiences, maybe even on more than one occasion, will sit down in a cafe, in a diner, or maybe just in, in your car, at home cooking, listening to the radio, and there's always that one song, at least one song, if not 10 or 20, that will remind you of those experiences. They will pop up those memories of the one that got away. And that's why that music is so successful. Because there is almost zero chance for people like you and me to actually find the one and start something there, you know, living happy in a fantasy world with prince and princess. And the reason for that is people think because they met that person that that person might really be the one because the anticipation and the fantasies about that person are gigantically high. And if we actually do um, commit to a relationship, afterwards most people find out yeah, that's not really the person I thought she would be or he would be. You know, it's, it's, uh, many people get disappointed from seeing that person's true colors. Or I'm not saying the person has to be super negative or even dangerous or anything like that, but not really compatible to the person you are and the person that that one needs to be for you like you need to be for the person. Okay? Both, it only goes both ways. You can't just expect you know, Mrs. Fantastic to be at your side, you know, without questions, without, without any compromise. No, of course not. But still, uh, I've met someone who I thought was uh, the most um, astonishing, exotic, beautiful, mysterious woman I have ever fucking met in my life. And the only one, the only one who ever made my knees shiver. Ever. No one else did that. No one else managed to, to actually cause these emotions. Absolutely zero. Only that person. And I think that I spoke to that woman. Actually, she was a girl. We were both teenagers, and she was, I think, a year older than me. But, you know, it, it didn't stop me from feeling the way I felt. And I did talk to her briefly, just primitive small talk, and I realized that she wasn't probably the most smartest person that I could talk to, but, you know, the behavior of it was very weird, just this wannabe cool type chick, even though she wasn't physically and not the, the way she behaved or the appearance, the way she looked and smiled, but she behaved like that when her friends were around, so, you know, you know how people can be trying to show off somehow and, and, and staying cool or at least untouchable and stuff like that. But um, I, I don't know. I never could get that, that girl out of my head. She was, uh, for me, the only for me personally, the ideal uh, form of female beauty that I personally can relate to and uh, identify with at some point, you know, at least emotionally. And uh, I saw something in her eyes, the way she looked, that just made me made me shiver. That was uh, an interesting, very fascinating experience, but very depressing in the end because I could never get anyone near her. And every time I listen to sad love songs, songs that kind of trigger certain emotions in me, that memory always comes up. And I love listening to those songs. 
you know, especially, look, as an example, some songs would be from, uh, you know, the most cheesiest singer in the world, probably Lionel Richie. <laughs> he, has, he has dozens of tracks that just, you know, bring back these, these memories many times where I just start fantasizing about an interesting and beautiful life, a, a life that I will never have for sure, but um, I still have these memories, you know, and they mean something to me, even though nothing ever happened. But still, it was, um, no one really could ever match that. I know it's unrealistic to think that anyone could actually match exactly those emotions, especially when you're a teenager. You know, you think highly of everything that happens to you in, in your life. You're overdramatic. You just over-criticize things or you just fall in love with the most weirdest person probably. But uh, if it happens, those emotions are quite intense because your brain needs a while to cope with those experiences. When you're older, like let's say 30, 40, 50, it's not the same. Quite frankly, it's never going to be the same. It's, it's always much, much different because your, your brain has uh, found a way or a, a technique or a mechanism to actually cope with those, those feelings much better and analyze them with more logic instead of just pure emotion and go haywire through all of that. So um, I'm not saying that I would ever look for exactly the same kind of, of uh, emotional connection to someone, or at least those... Uh, explosion type of feelings because they make you blind, you know. Maybe I'm right and that person really was just no good for me or for anyone else. But I don't know because I never had a chance, you know. And, and I think lots of guys loved that girl, just really adored her, but only one person got her and married her and I have no idea who that is. But, you know, as long as she's, as long as she's happy, both are happy and they're living their lives and being healthy, I don't give a fuck. Okay, it's not my world anyway. It wasn't back then, and it's still uh, not my world now. Not with anyone. But that's the life I chose, so cheers to that. Hmm. Well, the music industry um, always surprised me with um, colorful... Uh, extraordinary musicians making interesting titles. Some of them were just um, one-hit wonders and then disappeared into into nothingness. And only a, a group of people, diehard fans and those who actually grew up with the music, recognized that band and the song. For example, Living in a Box. That song was a, a major hit. Not sure exactly in, in what countries specifically. But... Um, that band was really only famous or known for that one song. And I cannot recall if they ever created something uh, more, more substantial, more meaningful than just this pop song, you know. And that's where uh, my, my personal experience started with searching for interesting music, something that actually uh, connects with me or causes emotions of, of some kind, not just the positive ones. I also like sad songs. I like them more than any any happy song on earth. And when I was in my my younger years during the 80s in in Canada, I listened to pretty much anything that the radio would would give away. We had a record player and, and a cassette deck, you know, old analog technology, but it sounded beautiful. Um, from my parents, a gigantic stereo system. 
where uh, my mom would play records from from ABBA. Then, of course, ABBA. I mean, anybody living at that time would listen to those guys. You know, the 70s were never dead. <laughs> they just keep, you know, maturing or something. And um, we had a record of Michael Jackson. I had a cassette from Michael Jackson, especially from Thriller, because... Uh, one of the most gigantic albums probably ever made and produced, no doubt. I'm not a Michael Jackson's fan, but fucking A, that record was just awesome. And um, we had some of Phil Collins, I think, and, well, many other bands, especially, you know, like Bonnie M, those 70s um, groups, were, which my parents were complete nuts of, especially my mom. My dad had a, you know, more mixed feelings toward the, towards that kind of stuff. I think we had Gordon Lightfoot, too. Paul McCartney, probably, and maybe some old Beatles tracks, stuff like that, and much more that I can't really remember. But a lot of that stuff came from the disco times. While I personally was always listening to or trying to find sad music, something that sounds melancholic at least, and I didn't know what it was, really, that kind of music and the mood at the time. I, I, I just knew as a kid I liked listening to that kind of stuff. So I got hooked. And when I was, uh, you know, in, in, in my school days, 19, 1986, um, there was Peter Gabriel with his Sludge Hammer song. Now, of course, Sludge Hammer is a very, very poppy, super positive song about sex, which at the time, not really many people knew. Because, <laughs> you know, most people didn't even know what he was singing about because, you know, he's, he likes to play around with lyrics and be more creative in that, in that regard. Not with all songs, but specifically with that one. And uh, it became a super success just basically for the music video which was unprecedented at the time, especially with all that clay animation and, and you know, stuff that was just very bizarre, but it looked beautiful, and people wanted to see more of that. So um, without that video, I doubt that Sledgehammer would be the success it was, just to be fair. But I always loved the song, and I loved his voice more than the entire song itself. I just loved, loved that voice. But I never knew as a child who that guy really was. I knew that the name would drop somewhere. I read it and then I forgot about it. You know, because life and toys and cartoons. So I got distracted. So when I, when I got older, my parents got divorced. I came back to Germany. Um, I listened to all sorts of things that I could get my hands on, especially electronic music. The techno movement back then in the 90s was bizarre. I listened to that shit every day, sometimes even 24 hours, where my radio, my, my cheap stereo system would just keep blasting that kind of music, then headphones, and I had a, a Walkman, an original, original Sony Walkman, quite expensive. Then later on, a Sony Discman, of course, because, you know, owning the first CDs, that was an interesting feeling for me. The sound quality was amazing, so... Um, I do, I remember those times vividly, and I do miss them sometimes. I don't really want to go back there, but, you know, it, those days were kind of cool. And the first CDs that I bought were, first and foremost, the Ghostbusters soundtrack, because I needed that fucking thing. Then I found 
by coincidence in a, in a shopping mall in some uh, bargain cart um, the soundtrack for Ghostbusters 2 for I think only 10 bucks or something at the time it was super cheap you know today it would be like five bucks or maybe three and um, I was super excited I, I couldn't wait to listen to that thing I that you know those days were just different I knew the movie I heard the tracks in the movie and it's not like today where you can go online and just you know google that track and listen to it of course it's much more comfortable but you had to work and scour and put some elbow grease in there to actually find certain songs or records and just you know scour those 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 stores and if you couldn't find it you had to order it somewhere and just wait for like six weeks until you can finally get that fucking disc so that was a completely different experience not like today you just get music by the press of a button but I still enjoy music today. So, you know, if the, the, my convenience only moves me in such a direction that I scour and search for much, much more bizarre electronic music than I ever did before. And I do find some interesting stuff. I got to take a sip. Wait a second. Mm. Battery is draining really fast on the Mac when you use this, this software. It's amazing. You know, recording and all that. So Peter Gabriel was um, became a, a larger name in my head when I started listening to more um, of, of the other tracks that I was, was interested in. I didn't know that Steam, for example, was Peter until I kind of heard both songs at the same time and I realized, dude, that's the same voice, you know, it's the same guy. And then, of course, I, I listened to Digging in the Dirt and everything that was kind of exciting and hip at the time for at least for his sake during the 90s when uh, he released his us album in 1992 i think it was 92 i think 93 he started going um going live on tour till 94 and i think the one song that actually gave me the rest where I knew where I really had no idea that it was him but I loved the song nonetheless and I tried to keep listening to it on the radio every time I had the chance was Salisbury Hill and at the time uh, during the 90s when I heard that song more often for whatever reason was just playing sometimes endlessly on the radio every two hours or something you know and um, for some reason nobody seemed to mention his name they just played that track in a mix of others and then briefly talked about it maybe by naming it a classic the former genesis frontman and all that kind of stuff and until i finally realized that gabriel was responsible for for you know at least sledgehammer when i was a bit younger i i immediately immediately bought the uh, 16 golden greats album that came out where uh, a bunch of interesting uh, tracks were selected, especially by Peter himself, to um, not just push in chart music in there, but also some interesting tracks that were very powerful and um, like a hand signature that you could recognize from the artist, like songs uh, like San Jacinto, you know, about the song about that gigantic mountain, among other things, but, you know, the mountain is called San Jacinto. And... Um, then songs like Biko were, I think, also on that album. And uh, something that struck, struck me quite as a surprise was the track uh, Czar, which is on the Passion album. You know, 
the soundtrack to The Last Temptation of Christ with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was William Defoe playing Christ. I have never seen that movie, by the way. Never. I wanted to, I always wanted to watch it. I never got around to it. So um, I was intrigued by all those, those noises, those sounds, the way he sang, and, and just there's so much interesting stuff on, that, on that, that record alone for, you know, to go on that journey of, of uh, exploration and find something that you might like because you've never heard anything like this before. And I got to tell you, for those who might be skeptical, Peter Gabriel was a fantastic, or still is, I mean, he's still a fantastic guy, no doubt. But in those days, he was a very fantastic explorer and sound designer, I should say, by exploring what he wanted to do, adding third world music to his tracks, adding certain instruments to the tracks, electronic devices, new electronic technology to morph sounds, to change sounds, and, and all that kind of stuff. And he was a pioneer in his, in his own right. And when I discovered on that album... 16 Golden Greats, when I played the first track, which is obviously Salisbury Hill, um, I was blown away because I, f I found one of my favorite songs by fucking accident by just buying that album. Then I realized, fuck's sake, I have got the right guy. And th it was like destiny for me, if you know what I mean. I mean, I don't want to talk about higher power, but it was, I, everything was so familiar. Every time I listened to that music, I felt I was listening to a part of me. So, of course, I got hooked. You know, of course, I was happy and just, I couldn't wait to explore everything that he ever did. So, I started, you know, collecting my, my pocket money and just spending less for my computer and more on those CDs. And I kept buying one album after the other every time I had cash. So, I started exploring. Then I ordered singles that were almost out of print. I tried to get them fast enough. Then I started buying collector's editions. And I bought this, then that, and trying to get B-side tracks. And... Everything just kept growing into my mind. I came, I became obsessed with his music. I'm not that obsessed today. I'm more admiring what he did. But at the time when I was younger, it felt like I was just discovering Christ. <laughs> discovering a secret part of the universe that opened it, itself up for me. And I think anyone who is a diehard fan of anybody like Queen or David Bowie, uh, Tina Turner and all those those you know great numbers of, of artists would, would probably say the same thing when they first realized who that artist is and that they can connect to that artist with their work and with, with, with their lyrics, the sounds, what they do, the way they sing. It, it becomes personal to you and you cherish that. And of course it goes for everyone who is kind of affected by any, any artist really. And I've been following his work ever since I really got a better understanding of, of who this guy is and what he sings about. And the, the interesting thing for me, uh, why I, I admire him so much, is every album is different. Every album still has the typical Gabriel signature that you can recognize. The style of singing, um, sometimes the, the weird obscure choice in tunes and, and audio arrangements that he's very, at least to fans, famous for, that somehow never changes. But the topics and the style itself changes from album to album. It becomes, it's always recognizable, yeah, that's Peter, but still, the album is different. The songs are different. Uh, the tone is often very different. 
And I think his albums just get darker and darker over time, at least for me personally. Some would say that the album three or four might be one of the, his, his darkest, um, or not just dark, but maybe more, more serious and uh, sophisticated. Um, some people say that his security album, which is number four, um, is one of the greatest achievements of mankind. You know, you could be right. I'm not arguing with you on that. It's a, it's a very interesting and fascinating album. But um, my personal favorite is the Us album from, from the 90s because I had, well, you know, I was going through, th- through some rough emotional phases myself. Obviously, the, uh, the first real uh, exciting and overwhelming emotion of love that I just talked about was hard to handle for me, at least for my psyche anyway. So his music kind of helped me there. And, you know, coping with it at least as much as I, I, I thought was necessary because I had no one to talk to. I did have friends, but they were not really very well equipped with this kind of situation, especially when it comes to girls or uh, when you had family issues because of, you know, problems with your parents, uh, the fact that, you know, I was still going through this divorce phase of my parents where I never really understood what the hell was going on. And um, my dad at the time was more, a lot more active, of course, younger. And he, even though he lived in Taiwan at the time already for a couple of years, he came back to Germany more often, like twice or three times for family reasons, then seeing us, doing some adventures, going on road trips and stuff like that, going out, eating, having parties, celebrating New Year's or Christmas and stuff like that. He tried to be at two places at once, which was very stressful for him, not just working all the time, but he did try to do something, and I do give him credit for that, for not giving us up completely. But raising us was not really part of his job anymore. That was my mom's job, and she did a miserable job. Let's let's put it like that. It's honest. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't help myself. I cannot lie about stuff like that. She did a poor job, and that's the end of it. Mm. But um, something that has always been very, 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 very painful for me was to be excited to see my dad again trying to connect to him somehow, and then letting go again for God knows how many months, or now even years. I haven't seen him for three years. And I know he's gotten older. He became almost completely white-haired, you know, and he lost weight because of the the last disease he had. And I'm very... um, I am looking forward to seeing him, but it's going to... It's going to really hurt, actually, to see him like that the way he changed so fast. All I see from him is all these changes. You know, I, I never had constant contact with the man over a longer period of time. And sometimes if I did, it, it ended badly in fights or just arguments because my dad is not exactly easy to live with, but I still love him, you know. So um, when he came to Germany and said hi to us and we did something, we, I, I tried to hold on to those moments to just enjoy his presence. And then when he left... It's like someone takes a part of you and, and just squashes it until it's destroyed or burns it up in flames. And um, half a year later, when you see him again, it's, it's like he changed and you can see the changes. Like he's, um, 
like these 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 uh, speed drawings that you see on YouTube, where just you know a time is being compressed in like ten years into five minutes. That kind of feeling. That's what I had uh, when I when I saw him after uh, just one year of, of pause or break, and I started noticing that he started getting gray, and you know, his, his, then he gained some weight, and he got. The, I, I had the feeling that he's getting a bit shorter now. Then I noticed that he's getting problems and with his joints that he can't really walk that good anymore and his knees are hurting, that kind of stuff. You, know? and you see these changes all the time. You have a brief moment in life, which is just a couple of minutes, actually, where you enjoy him. And then there's a large break in between. And again, it's like somebody's hitting you in the face when you see the truth for the first time in, 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 in such a long time, such a long break. And going back on that plane for me, leaving Taiwan, for example, and going back home was just one of the most horrible things for me that I, that I, have to, that I had to feel. And the, the sad thing about that is when I listen to music and I listen to meaningful uh, emotional tracks of Gabriel, for example, Gabriel, and not just him, but many other artists, artists as well, I walk through those feelings again. And mostly I realize that I can never have a life that somehow evolves or around him or coexists with him on some level because that day will never come. Even if I would sell everything I have, you know, and just give up everything, just move down to Taiwan to start a new life, I know it's not going to end very well. Not because I'm afraid of that, but because I know him very well. And I like him I like the way he is. I love him for who he is, even though he's a he's a crazy guy, but I still care about him a great deal. But I know I would jeopardize those feelings if I would be around him all the time or working for him even. Uh, that's a no-go. It's not something I can do or not something I should do. Having contact him is beautiful. Um, giving up your life for him would be a mistake. And... Uh, I know that. It hurts me to, to admit that, but um, I have to be responsible for my, myself. I help him where I can, even though I'm so far away. I send him, you know, medicine, all that kind of stuff, just supplements, stuff that he needs to make his life a bit easier or, you know, his suffering a bit easier because he does have uh, sometimes at least uh, a tremendous amount of pain. And... Um, yeah, it, it just it doesn't make things very easy in, in the end anyway. And if, I, if my mind feels overwhelmed, I have to listen to music to make it either go away or to process it at least to some point where I can just store it in my memory or you know, find a solution otherwise and just go through those uh, dark thoughts. And I personally never met anyone or listened to anybody who would be more equipped to actually do that than Mr. Gabriel and his music. At least it works for me. For others, maybe not so much. And um, I think, for now at least, I said more than enough when it comes to that kind of music. I would like to explore the albums a bit more. Uh, for today, I think it's enough if I mention the first album, the Peter Gabriel number one. The funny thing is Peter never wanted to give titles to his albums. He just wanted people to recognize them by pictures, you know, by, by the, the cover art. And I think 
the label back then, um, I have to look that up, What which label that was. He, they, they pressured him quite a lot and said, look, you got to choose a fucking title for your album. So that's when accidentally, I guess, because of carelessness, the album, the, the title So was, was chosen and uh, it became like uh, a very iconic album name, just like the other two that, af- that came up afterwards. And the first album, however... Just to be clear here, I do recognize and appreciate the Genesis years, but I'm not really a fan of those those songs, even though they were tremendously uh, fascinating and very complex in composition and in arrangement. It's just, it's beautiful to listen to it. I have to admit that. But I have a stronger connection to his solo career because of his own creative freedom and those let's say, more serious and emotional paths that he would take on in his journey instead of uh, listening to uh, theatrical storytelling from from the Genesis days, even if those songs are are great. But, you know, I think I just have other interests in, in, in terms of that. And I do believe when Gabriel says that uh, Genesis was an interesting experience, but it was... It was an experience he needed to make as a young, uh, as a young man, as a young person, to to understand his music potential and understand what it takes to make music with others together, with with friends from from his band. And going through that phase for four years or something, you know, he just he started realizing this is not making me happy. I got to get out of here. And I understand that. For me personally, it looks like those days, Genesis was a playground of pure experimentation. They had great ideas, for sure, no doubt. But there has to be an end. And I'm glad that Gabriel took that end and started something much more substantial than what Genesis brought to the table. And they did bring a lot, but, you know, let's face it. There is always some kind of evolution going on. There's always development and, and, and progress in, in human life. And I think that progress can be, can be identified and listened to and recognized in future albums of his solo career, just like, let's say, Phil Collins, even though I don't, I don't really appreciate Phil's music that much. He has some good songs, but he's not a very good... Um, he's not a good artist. He's a good songwriter and a very good drummer, or at least he used to be. But that's about it, really. I can't, I cannot connect to that kind of stuff. It's too mainstream for me. He has some good songs, really, for sure, no doubt. But it's still mainstream, you know, too much for me, and too much love songs. For fuck's sake, I can't, I can't listen to all of that stuff all the time. Um, the first album was which is identified today or recognized as car because you see a more like a negative no it's not negative it's, I think it's an oversaturated black and white picture uh, where the color is still from the color of the car blue is still recognized while everything else looks like it's black and white um, with uh, crystal like eyes I think wait a minute what am I talking about is it the same picture we're talking about? I could have sworn I saw something like that on a different album or something that was shot for promotion material. But anyway, you see 
the car, anyway. I could pull out the album, I have it somewhere here, but I'm too lazy to stand up. The album was released in 1977 and features some interesting partially experimental songs that have a theatrical connection to or a theatrical style from what he learned through Genesis and what he experienced there. Um, for example, Down the Dolce Vita and Slow Burn would be a good example of those things where he combined um, or tried to explore a potentially good rock song or a rock and roll arrangement of that song and then add theatrical elements to it which made the songs quite interesting, but they're not one of my favorites. Um, I, I just want to, if I go through these albums here, and if, if you're interested in anything at all that has something to do with his music, I can tell you personally what I like about the album the best, my favorite songs and why I listen to them, and I would end there. And uh, maybe next time when I find the muse, I'm going to talk more about album two, three, four, and five. And so maybe about all albums, maybe, I don't know. For now, I think I've been talking for almost an hour, and I should stop. <laughs> or maybe I should stay here and undress myself and start stripping. Maybe you guys would then probably listen to me more often. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm not going to do that, for fuck's sake. I look, I look disgusting. Seriously. Physically oh, revolting. And the wine is very tasty. Hmm. At least by now, anyway. The glass is almost empty. Um, the first album had the signature song, uh, which became an all-time classic, Salisbury Hill, um, which is, uh, it's a monumental song. It's a song that was written, as far as I remember him saying, quite quickly, in just a few days or two weeks or something like that. And it's it's uh, it sounds mainstream, but this the, the tune is more melancholic and more mysterious, I think, than what most people believe the song to be. Yes, it sounds very positive and very very dance worthy, so so to speak. Every time when I went to his concerts, I mean, everybody was starting to dance when that song came up, and I think people are expecting more of those songs over the years because it was a successful song. Maybe not the most successful one, but it became a classic quite instantly. And um, it's a song about... Uh, the, the song is great for me personally, and because uh, of the meaning of it became one of my favorites. It's because of the, the, the necessity of change that happens in everyone of our lives. And it's about letting go of the past to make space or be susceptible and ready for something new in the future. And that's why I love that song so much, because it's, it's true, really. And it, that gave me clarity to let go of things that hurt me, things that I could not change and make space for something new to make change happen to me personally that was necessary for emotional survival. So that's why I listened to that song even today, uh, quite often in my car. Um, you can't go wrong with Salisbury Hill, I'm sorry, it's just, it's just fantastic. Uh, the other song that would be uh, tremendously important on that album would probably be the last one, the last track, which is Here Comes the Flood. The original version is much louder, it's uh, played heavier and I think more dynamic with an interesting 
uh, guitar riff at the end, I would say. Or at least every time when, you know, when, when the song became very emotional, when he sang his, his lyrics, Here Comes the Flood, we're going to say goodbye to flesh and blood or so. So, that track is well known amongst fans, but becomes, for me at least personally, a completely different level of, of music or songwriting when the piano version was released with the album 16 Golden Greats, um, which was, for me, um, just a, 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 like an epiphany, really. It was like, um, so it was so deep and so emotionally um staggering to listen to that song it really caught me by surprise when i heard it the first time and then when i compared the album version to the piano version i was a bit disappointed to be honest <laughs> not that the song is bad uh, no of course not but um i think the song becomes much more powerful in its quiet piano version by far it's really uh, i don't i really do not believe there is any comparison here it's just, it's a statement that he makes. And I'm not even sure really what that song is supposed to be about. I never read anything specific about that song. And if I did, I probably forgot. But for me, it's, it has uh, just individual quality and, and meaning. Just like pretty much for everyone else who's listening to um, mythical songs or something that makes space in your brain to create your own meaning. You know, which is one of the reasons why I like to listen to ambient music. But that's another story. We'll come to that some other time. Um, I think those two tracks are, for me personally, at least the ones that, that stand out the most. I like listening also to uh, Modern Love, which uh, they made actually a music video off of that. I think it was the first music video uh, of his career as a solo artist anyway. And you see him dressed up as a football player or something, or like an ice hockey player with, you know, the uniform and the helmet and all that. I think it was ice hockey. And he's, um, he's, he's riding an escalator for whatever reason. And they thought it was a cool idea. So they just shot a very weird and pointless music video. To be honest, uh, where, you know, somebody tried to be creative and they did something interesting. And um, it's a bit frowned upon or laughed at in, in today's point of view. I think only a, a tiny mi a minority would really see this video as a piece of art because it's probably not. The music, the song is great. Maybe not a golden great, uh, great but, you know, for fans, it's, it's just one of those signature songs where Peter was experimenting with uh, his vocals, what he could do uh, with his high-pitched notes and just um, being louder than, than normally he would be, I think, and trying to create a very uh, modern love song, which over time doesn't sound like a very modern one. But he sings about, you know, uh, being rejected all the time by somebody specific or maybe by multiple women, I don't know. But um, what he sings is pretty true. 
and I think it goes for all of these songs that that cover some form of, of love issue or relationship issue. And I'm thankful for the fact that Peter never really wrote too many of these songs, of, of typical love songs, you know, because most of the songs that he sings about, if it, it has, there are elements of love in those songs, but they're not blatantly obvious, if you know what I mean. They... He doesn't just spew it out like, oh, baby, I need you, and baby here, baby there. No, it's just, um, it's too boring to do that for him. Everyone does it, so why should he do it, you know? And he said himself he just wanted to do things different. He wants to sound different. He wants to present something different. And I admire him for that, for not copying someone's work. And if anything at all, maybe borrowing it or being inspired by it and then creating something from it. That makes sense, you know? Because to be honest, it's really hard to come up with, with something very unique. And some people do that, but everybody gets inspired by something or someone or a song that you heard. So um, creating a song out of complete nothing is, I think, a lie, pretty much. I think the only people who could actually do that were people like Mozart or you know Beethoven. Because they created an era of music that no one else did before. That could be... We could discuss that and take the claim that they created something really out of nothing as a unique individual. Okay, I get that. But for, you know, today's artists, they have so much music to choose from, to learn from, to listen to. And it ultimately shapes your opinion and your mind to some degree. And I think it happened the same with, with Peter, just like with, with uh, everyone else. And what the mind does with that material, with the information, what decision you make, uh, what kind of style you want to choose, you know, that's a different story. Then that is just like you roll the dice and whatever feels good for you, you take it. Or you, you, you throw shit at the wall and if it sticks, you're going to take that. So whatever works for you, good for me. I need some more wine. I'll be right back. I'm reaching an hour. Give me five more minutes, okay? Don't hang up on me, guys. So, I am back. Thank God for the pause button. You see, you didn't even know that I was gone. That's magic. It's fucking magic. Normally, I don't have to mention it that I go, but I want to because I want to make it feel real here. Very authentic. And I had to get a refill. Not bad. I think this wine is from Africa. Called, um, I think, Two Oceans. Uh, red wine. If you're interested, look it up. Two Oceans Wine Africa. Okay. <laughs> and back we go. Um, my third favorite from the album, something that, a song that I did listen to quite often because of its uh, interesting style, was the Barbershop... Uh, quartet kind of song uh, the fourth track on the album called Excuse Me um, I don't really know what the song is about really but the track is it's when I've heard the first time when I heard that song the first time I was a bit disturbed by it because I didn't expect something like that and after uh, listening to it a couple of more times I just enjoyed uh, the fact that he was singing about a person who had a tough life, kind of, and uh, he wanted to be alone. 
And that's what he sings over and over again, I want to be alone. And I can identify with that song much more today than I ever could before. But the other tracks on the album are still uh, interesting, especially like, you know, songs uh, that sound more like jazzy blues song, uh, Waiting for the Big One. Um, I don't... I don't listen to that song very often. I think it's an interesting experimental song to be a part of a music era that he wanted to maybe get in touch with or try to copy or recreate. I don't know. But I never got hooked on that song that much. And I don't listen to it, like I said, very often. If anything at all, maybe once a year. But... um, um, one another song that I almost forgot, and I'm sorry about that, was the first track, Moribund the Bürgermeister, is <laughs> a song that is it, it, a song that sounds more like a story, and is very theatrical in its presentation and execution, which uh, does ring a bell a lot to the Genesis era, and I think it's very hard to shake that kind of stuff if you. If you did something right the first time around and um, you're trying to be yourself, only yourself, not the band, by uh, creating only the stuff that is in your head, then I think the influence of those Genesis days was very big on him during the first album. The second one, the second album, not so much. And the second album is, to be fair... And I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I think it's the worst album of his entire career. And um, I have to look into that a bit more for next time to explain why it sounds the, the way it does. But it's, it's, not like, uh, it's not that the songs are all bad, but the way they are sung and the way they were produced, that could have been done better. And I think Gabriel knows that. And he, if he ever sings the old songs from those days, today he sings them a bit differently. If he ever sings them again. That's the other question. Because the guy is over 70 years old now. He's moving to 70... 72, yeah. Fucking A. February the 13th if I'm not mistaken, is his birthday. Got to look out for that. Maybe new information is going to pop up from his new album. He's working on one, so he says, you know, for for almost 20 years now. And I hope that it will come out someday. I'd like to see Gabriel make a statement in music um, once more as the legend that he is, just for the sake of it, for, for the hell of it, you know. He doesn't have to prove anything, but... His influence, his mind is gold, even at his old age. So that's enough for now. Um, I'm going to get back to my my desk. I'm going to listen to music. Maybe Gabriel again, I don't know. Not sure. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get some creative thoughts out of my mind for the next lines and pages that I need to, to write, and I'm... Looking forward to that because I'm getting more and more ideas to flesh out the first half of the book while the rest is, I know how it starts. I am not quite sure where it goes from there. 
But it's like, you know, creating, um, it's like you're creating a child of some sort, even though I never had kids. But it starts growing on you and it becomes more colorful and develops personality. I just hope someone out there might like that book too, and not just me personally, if it ever gets finished. Well, that's all for now, guys. Um, this year is young. We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to do. And uh, the pandemic is still nagging at our fucking testicles. We got to do the best we can to deal with this shit and find solutions that work for all of us. Let's see what, what happens. And in, in the meantime, try to stay calm. Try to stay cool. Keep a clear head. You know, um, be kind to each other as always. Because why be mad? Why be angry? For what? Right? Makes no, no sense. And drink a wine with me. Or with your friends. With your family and loved ones. Okay. Hang in there, guys. Take care of each other. And bye-bye.